Hey everyone, this is Hunter from the Odyssey of Learning podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded in mid-May, far before the death of George Floyd and the protests that ensued in Minneapolis and then later across the world. We at the Odyssey of Learning podcast understand the nature of these demonstrations and how important it is to this cultural moment, and we don't want the timing of this episode to downplay any of that. This episode does not discuss those events directly as it was recorded beforehand. Frankly, it was me being lazy and not getting the episode produced uh, with other things coming up at school. Uh, Courtney and I are planning to sit down and have a conversation as to how this has impacted our school our scholars, and our culture. Uh, But we wanted to put this out there now uh, just so that we could add it to the library, have it there. We're not going to market this episode. We're not going to uh, publish it other than the simple upload. Uh, And we do hope uh, that uh, this does not take away from the current conversation that's happening uh, in our country. So thank you and uh, enjoy this episode of the Odyssey of Learning podcast. It is started. The party has begun. The party has begun. How are you feeling? I am feeling tremendously better than I have felt in about a week. I feel like I'm back to my my normal self, which has been really nice. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it. I feel like, I mean, we've got all of these listeners that have no idea what's been going on in your life over the last week. Do you want to fill us in? Yeah, and I definitely want to share because if it's one thing that I've learned throughout this entire process, it's that, you know, even if you're if you're already familiar with the program and what it is, but maybe don't know how to get involved, I, I do see this. This is going to be like my own little form of activism. Uh, we've, we've had our, our kids working on activism projects, and now I'm going to take uh, the spotlight to share a little bit about uh, something that is pretty important. So you ready, you ready for this quick run- rundown? I'm ready for the rundown. Yeah, so what Courtney is referencing is that uh, about a month ago, a little less than that, I was notified by the National uh, Marrow Donation Program, Blood Marrow, that I was a match for a patient who had a very rare form of leukemia. Um, If you don't know anything about uh, bone marrow and matching, it's not like finding someone that has the same blood type as you. That's that's a fairly, um, I guess, easy match to make depending on your blood type, obviously. Um, but marrow is a little trickier and requires uh, kind of more of a, a closer genetic alignment. Uh, they look at a lot of different things and, and they could just do a simple DNA uh, cheek swab uh, to figure out what that sequence looks like. But finding a match is not easy. I joined the registry nine years ago uh, when I was in college. I was just walking around campus and some people were, were tabling for Be The Match. That's the program that I signed up with. And, um, and then here we are nine years later, I get this call saying um, somebody is in need. Um, I, I, I said, yeah, I'm in. Let me know how I can help. And it was really interesting because everyone was describing this process that could take anywhere from two to six months. It's really lengthy and who knows what that's going to look like now that we're combating a global pandemic. Um, but lo and behold, I got a call through three days later. Um, I started, I got the initial notification on Friday and then I was told 
uh, Monday. So one business day later, three days later, um, the patient and their doctor team said, yeah, we want to move forward um, with this. Um, and so uh, it's it, it's not the same process that maybe you're familiar with. I think when people hear bone marrow donation, um, they, they have it that they're they're going in with maybe this huge needle and extracting uh, the, the physical marrow from the bone. And um, and that is still a common practice. It really depends on the patient uh, and, and what their illness is. However, what's far more common these days is the procedure that I went through, um, which is called peripheral blood stem cell donation. Uh, and what they do is they give me a drug called filgrastim, and uh, they give me a series of five injections across five days. Interestingly, it's a drug that they usually give to cancer patients um, to help them stimulate their own stem cell growth. But in the 90s, they figured, well, if we give a very light dose to donors, we can actually have the donors produce their stem cells, extract them from the donors, and then give them to the patients. And that is what I did. Um, but it's not the easiest thing. Uh, it is, uh, it, it, it takes a toll on, on the donor's body and, and especially on day four, uh, of my injections, I was really starting to feel this deep, deep bone soreness. But when you consider what it's going towards and who you may be helping with this, I mean, that just helped continue to push me, uh, through this whole process. Uh, and then uh, a little over a week ago, I, I finally made my appointment and um, we, we, we went through the procedure. Uh, I was told I'm a very good producer of, uh, of stem cells, which is what, like one of the best compliments I've gotten this year. Like, hey, you're a good producer. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we were, the procedure took a little less than four hours, but I got out of there and, uh, and they immediately picked up my stem cells and we're getting ready to transport them to the patient. So, uh, so, uh, just praying that, uh, that's exactly what the patient needs and, and that they're able to recover. So that's, that's been my month, um, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. What a unexpected month. I mean, in unexpected times, but to, to be going through, you know, a procedure like that and a process like that, especially in light of a global pandemic, I mean, it just adds another layer of, of complexity to the whole thing. And, I, I just think back to, you know, when you shared with us all in morning meeting and uh, hearing our staff kind of reflect on, on what a courageous act that is and how that process that you went through like really embodies kind of the mission of, you know, what we're hoping to, to work with young people to instill for the rest of their lives. It's like a strong heart, a strong mind and a strong will. So definitely very admirable. I feel super honored to be your colleague and to get to learn more about this process. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, I, I, I want just kind of to, to capture, you, you said it exactly, that it, it carries so much more weight and meaning in this time of pandemic. And I think that's my, my little PSA, little activist piece I want, I want to get out there, is that e even when we're talking about simple blood donation, um, there, there's a high need right now. Um, and not necessarily because all these people that are getting sick with COVID-19 need blood. In, in some rare cases, they do. But it's just people are hesitant to go out to donate uh, during this season, right? They're, they're, they're not feeling as comfortable and safe about their own health, um, it just, just going out and donating blood. But if you can, uh, and you could do it safely, you know, wearing a mask, taking all the precautions that are specified by, by your local uh, governments, um, there, there's always a need for blood. 
And so going out there and donating uh, would be a really awesome thing to do. Um, and joining the registry is also a, a pretty simple task nowadays. You can go, um, I think it's bethematch.org. And uh, I'll, I'll get my, my fact-finding team on that just to confirm. But um, you can actually sign up on the registry, and they will send a, a DNA collection kit to you. You don't have to go anywhere to join the registry. They make that process as easy as possible. Um, and, yes, I can confirm that is bethematch.org um, to potentially make a difference. Um, I've been connected with a lot of other donors uh, over the past month or so. And uh, for some people, uh, they've been on the registry for 10, 12, sometimes 15 years and, uh, and only just recently got called. Other people have been called in a matter of months. Uh, you know, you really can't predict these kinds of things. Uh, but the more people that they, um, that they can gather uh, to potentially uh, help cure uh, another individual, uh, the better. So uh, if, if you have the means and, and you are willing uh, to potentially make a difference, it's, I, I think it's a really... Um, it's a really awesome, humbling experience, and uh, I, I would recommend it to anybody. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Hunter. It's like very eye-opening um, to learn more about the different facets of donation. Um, definitely a really critical intervention for someone that's in need. Um, so to have access to all of those resources and get to have them sent to your home is is really you know, kind of the least we can do to support everyone that might need it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's been an exciting month for me, but I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, uh, transition a little bit here because I, I know that it's there's been some exciting developments uh, on your end uh, uh, in terms of your growth and your experiences. Uh, that Would you care to share a little, uh, little uh, preview of that? Totally. Um, well, this is the first day, actually, that I'm wearing repping my my new school pride but I am officially enrolled as a grad student at USC for the fall of 2020. Nice congratulations. Thank you it feels like um a really big decision going to college in Nebraska for undergrad was a really easy decision. I graduated and I had two options of, of where I could go for college according to my family and I picked the one that was a little bit closer to home, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And it was a great school, um, you know, had a really great ed program, but I definitely didn't hand pick it the way that I, I was able to really do a lot of research and be intentional about choosing a, a grad program. Um, so I'm looking forward to being a Trojan starting in the fall. And I will, of course, be teaching at Odyssey still. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's it's fun to hear because I I was raised in a uh, family that was born and bred of the University of Southern California. Both my mom and my dad uh, went to USC. Um, wow. I didn't end up going there, but that's that's a that's a tender story that I'm may, maybe not prepared to to talk about just yet. But um, but no, I, I I love the school. Um, I, I love um, everything about the atmosphere. Uh, down there at uh, the University of Southern California, is is there anything that like really attracted you to USC in particular? Like you saw something about their programs and was like, yeah, that that's totally what I want to do. Um, kind of. It took me a while to prioritize like really what it was I wanted when going back to school. 
um, you know, thinking about what I was interested in learning, what kind of learning environment I wanted, the proximity, obviously, to Odyssey um, and being in Los Angeles that I could continue to work. Um, and I think it mostly came down to my interactions with the faculty and like grads from the program. Um, I got to go to a couple of mixers and a couple of um, mock classes. And through that process, I met people that inspired me and that felt like familiar. Um, it's kind of more of like that gut feeling, you know, where when you're choosing between two or three programs and then you show up and you actually meet people that are in, in the program or you get a stronger sense for what it would really be like to, to feel yourself there. It was a stronger pull um, towards this particular program. And the degree that I'll be pursuing is a master's in education of learning design and technology. And I think that it's going to really serve me well as a, as a classroom educator uh, over the next two years of the program to view my practice under a bit more of a microscope, um, continue to gain more background information and context about the psychology of learning, um, and just continue to craft my practice. I mean, being a teacher is a skill that is never done evolving. It's kind of a poor turn of words, but... <laughs> Being an educator is, um, you know, your, your learning doesn't stop. And if it does stop, then it's like kind of time to look for a new job. So I'm really looking forward to like push my, to push my learning. Well, I, I know from sort of personal experience, but also colleagues of mine that have juggled uh, graduate programs with a uh, career um, is, is no easy task. And uh, knowing that we're still going to be working together on the 11th grade team next year, um, I want I want to help and support you in any way that I can. So I'm really excited to hear about your learning and everything that you're going to do within that program. And uh, as you know, let, let me know how I can how I can support because uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this uh, new chapter in your educational career. Thank you. Thank you. I am too. I really am too. And it, it means the world to be in a community of learners, yourself included, you know, but all of Odyssey's staff that just really values deep thinking and being curious. Um, it's like the best possible professional spot, I think, to be continuing my education in. So I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I don't know about you, but with everything, all these developments in my life, maybe all these developments going on in your life, I've been doing a lot of this over the past week or so. <sighs> Taking a lot of deep breaths. How about you? Yeah, definitely a lot of sighing, um, a lot of, <laughs> you know, ups and downs in terms of my I don't know, like levels of productivity or, or work ethic. It's like distance learning when it was happening for two weeks, it felt really attainable to do it well. Um, you know, I was like working really hard, um, assessing frequently, getting in touch with kids uh, and families and writing a lot about my experiences, you know, doing a lot of reflecting. And now that we've really settled into a routine, I, I'm still working to do all of those things, but there's like less, um, I don't know, internal drive to do all of them every day or something. Like I, I just, I'm finding it like harder to commit to excellence when I'm stuck in what feels like the same day over and over and over. It's definitely got that groundhog day feel uh, to it. And, 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 you know, you're actually never going to really hear me complain about that so much because I feel like I thrive on routine. Mm -hmm. um, but I hear you when you're talking about just sort of the, 
you know, there's an emptiness, I think, that uh, that has sort of ingrained itself in our day to day business that, you know, it's 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 sad. It's unfortunate. And we're constantly looking for ways to um, push against that, maybe you could say. But I think maybe some days we're a little more successful uh, than others for a bevy of reasons. And um, especially with what we've got uh, coming up uh, pretty quick here, uh, we've got exhibitions uh, that are happening. The Try 3 final exhibition. Yeah, it's totally a reason to celebrate, but it's also, um, you know, it's, it's a stressor for sure. Not, not just for our scholars, but for our advisors as well. I mean, how are you taking it? Yeah. I mean, similar to what I was, um, you know, what we were just talking about, I feel like I was, I was having that sensation of same day, same day over and over and having exhibitions come up has helped me kind of shift my mentality to be uh, in more of like a conclusive celebratory headspace. Um, just thinking about wrapping up the year and trying to work with our scholars to help them really celebrate all of the growing and the learning that they did this year. And, you know, that they're continuing to do like right up until the end of this academic year. It's, it's been a weird one, particularly this last trimester where we've been exclusively in distance learning, but it also is um, an opportune time to pause and to celebrate their growth and their learning and try to capture some of that by refining and showcasing artifacts and preparing a speech of personal transformation and looking forward into the future. I think for me, though, it has been stressful, like you're mentioning it, it more kind of represents the turning of a page into kind of a a new sensation of of celebratory conclusiveness for this year. How are you feeling? I mean, I can totally uh, vibe with that. Um, I, I, I understand that feeling and I would have to agree that I share a lot of that. I think maybe my stress comes more from um, the fact that with distance learning, we've had to make so many adjustments to our normal exhibition process. And a lot of these decisions are coming on the fly. A lot of them were were kind of shifting our um, approach to exhibitions, to something new and and I'm all for challenging the comfort zone but I think adding that layer of uncertainty that has that has kind of enveloped the educational field over the past couple of months has just made a lot of these decisions feel maybe more high stakes than they would be otherwise and um and, and I but you know I, I I scale back at the same time I'm saying that and I think that there is plenty of room for optimism I think that we can learn a lot from this process. We're going to be doing some things um, that uh, we we haven't done with our past exhibitions, and 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 maybe we we complete that procedure and we figure, man, we we got to do this when we come back to our school setting. This was really effective. This was uh, a really great opportunity for us. Um, for example, um, giving milestone evaluations immediately following the presentation when normally we would save that conversation um, to a little later in the day or a completely different day than the scholar actually presents. I mean, maybe because the presentation will be fresh, it's going to have a more positive impact and influence on the way that we assess a scholar and their progress. Um, That remains to be seen. Obviously, we'll have to see what happens when these these exhibitions unfold. But are there any other um, procedures that you continue to maybe reflect on or, or, or think about as we get ready to uh, host our first uh, distance learning exhibition? 
Yeah, I, um, you know, two things kind of come to mind. The first is I think an unexpected plus of this format is going to be that our families will have an opportunity to engage, mm. um, even if they're at work, you know, or even if they're unable to physically be at the school. So we're providing a link, right, so that the advisors can join, the scholars can join, and that their family can join. And for some families, that'll mean that they're joining from the same living room. But for some families, it might mean that they're joining from, you know, one of the parents is at work or they invite their grandparent that lives in a different city or they're able to come or they're sharing the link with, with a cousin or with a sibling that, that they would love to see their exhibition. Like, I love that it allows the audience to be more present, even if they can't physically get there, you know, to the school. Like, that was a limitation before. So I'm looking forward to that. And um the other thing I'll, I'll share is that today when we were doing our preparation, um, you know, and thinking about exhibition with the scholars, someone said, wow, this is way harder because I can't read the room. Mm. I thought that was a really powerful observation for, um, you know, a 16 year old to make when, when they're thinking about presenting virtually one that like, I felt like I realized that the first time I was hosting a class on zoom, I was like, wow, it is so much more challenging to, present when you're unable to see the reactions of the people in front of you or like feel the room um you're much more reliant on your notes in front of you and the slides that you have and kind of trusting that you're on the right path because you can't see the nonverbals of people in front of you the same way you could if you're presenting to a room of people so i'm interested to see what that's going to do for their developing presentation skills it certainly is a 21st century skill to be able to present online, you know, and, and clearly now, especially after COVID, there's going to be so many industries that rely on that digital communication. Um, so I think it's a, it's a valuable learning experience, but it definitely adds a layer of newness to exhibition that I think could be kind of stressful. And it reminds me of so many other things that we need to do during this time, um, whether we were on lockdown or not. And that is, for example, um, hiring a new slate of educators to fill um, the, uh, the, the vacancies of an, of an expanding school for next year. And um, the fact that we've been doing these interviews recently all digitally um, is not a far cry from what we at Odyssey have managed to do for some time. And I don't think this is restricted to Odyssey. I think a lot of businesses are starting um, to, to do this uh, interview process where if you live out of state or you live uh, pretty far away, but you're interested in a position, it's nice that technology is really opening up that um, that em employee or potential employee pool, um, where you could just connect uh, virtually uh, and and still conduct uh, an interview. Uh, which, if you th if you just think about you know what you're opening yourself up to as a school or even a business, um, when you have that wider field, you might be able to reach and access uh, potential employees that you wouldn't have been able to previously. So a lot of opportunity, I think, like you're uh, getting at, uh, is is coming from the use of distance learning technology. So I I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that plays out as well. Totally. But I mean, with exhibitions coming up too, it also represents the shift away from us teaching classes, you know, and leading and facilitating classes and moving mm -hmm. more to the position of being audience members, where scholars are going to be the ones logging on every day to teach us about their learning and to present to us. Um, so kind of shifting our narrative towards more of an audience space as opposed to a facilitator or, a, um, you know, presenters is definitely going to be interesting. As we look back, 
to our, I guess it's in like two months of distance learning facilitation, like as educators. Uh, I think it's important we do like a small reflection, right? <laughs> what would this be without some metacognition? How are you yeah, man. about wrapping up our two months of distance learning? What do you feel like was your biggest win and your, I guess, most noticeable loss? I th- th- What I come back to immediately when I'm asked about a win is the fact that over the past two months, we as a school, I feel, have done remarkably well at maintaining student engagement. Um, I, I think that it would be really easy and perhaps it's almost the natural, um, your, your natural inclination to kind of um, tune out uh, during when, when distance learning uh, becomes a thing. Um, you know, maybe you're not logging into Zoom sessions, you're not applying yourself as rigor- rigorously, excuse me, Uh, as you would be otherwise. But I think across the board, we have seen a continued high level of engagement. Um, When we watch scholars and we we see all of this beautiful work continue to unfold, despite the fact that we haven't been um, in, in a classroom physically in the same space, I think that in large part is due to our efforts to sort of Um, create these new opportunities for scholars. And I have to give a shout out to Paul, Aaron, and Erica for leading these phenomenal extension courses that give kids a continued opportunity to expand their learning and their understanding in ways that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, whether it's, you know, we've already talked on this uh, program about Paul and the Fun With Food course. Uh, and and continuing to get kids uh, learning opportunities and engagement with ingredients and and making things from scratch, making things with your hands, uh, and then getting to see uh, what Erica is doing with our ninth graders and uh, and Photoshop, and then seeing what Aaron is doing with stop motion classes and just seeing. So I mean, you've seen some of these stop motion things, right? They're so cool. They're so impressive and. And it's just, I, I think that's one of the many things, um, you know, that not to say um, anything less of our regularly uh, scheduled content courses, the kids are just being really engaged. And it's, it's as an educator, uh, to my, my core, uh, it is so great to see that despite um, the difficult circumstances, we've got kids that are going above and beyond uh, to apply themselves. Um, what's, what's been a really big positive for you? Um, a big win for me, I mean, the extension courses is definitely a great answer. I, um, you know, I just think to like the ways we've continued to build relationships with the scholars at Odyssey, um, makes it all feel worth it. You know, even on the worst days, if I wake up and I'm exhausted and I don't feel like getting on a Zoom call, I log into my advisory and I instantly am put in a better mood when I see like the 20 scholars in my advisory and we can like joke with each other and check in and see how the night before was and, um, you know, talk about what shows we're watching on Netflix or talk about what we had for dinner. And suddenly I'm like, oh my God, how did I ever think I wouldn't want to get on a call with the kids today? And the way that they're able to, um, just be themselves, you know, and like share so much of themselves, like pulling their dog or their cat or their parrot or their like hamster up into the screen to be like, look at my pet, you know, or like (laughs) turn the camera and they're like, mom waves from the kitchen and says, hello. Like, I just have loved the open window it's provided 
for them into my life and for me into their lives. Um, you know, I think that we're going to go into the next year with these scholars, like closer to them than ever before. And with like a lot of trust because we trust them to show up every day and give their best. And they trust us to show up every day and give our best. And that experience has been like emphasized through distance learning. You know, when that, the act of showing up can feel, even though your computer is right there, like even harder than, than going to school, I think, Mm. um, it like relies on this intrinsic commitment to other people and to have that cycle continue throughout. I mean, just like not great circumstances. It, it just makes it feel like, wow, like these relationships that we're building really matter and will continue to matter uh, far beyond the end of this experience and far beyond the end of high school, you know? True. Yeah. But how about low points? <laughs> let's get to uh get to the good stuff right what's the the biggest do we have to i mean i think we should i feel like we might learn something by like talking through a failure at least one (laughs) yeah no i know you're right um i i mean i think a low point um for me would be and and this might be more of a personal response than it is like a general observation about um, distance learning low points, but it's been really hard. Um, I don't, I don't know if motivation is the right word because when I, th- I ask myself, like, am I motivated to do the work that I do? The answer is an obvious yes, but I, I think maybe it's just been my, my general psyche during this experience that, um, I, I mean, I, I was reflecting on it as you were talking about those mornings when you just didn't know if you had the energy, um, to, to give a hundred percent of yourself to the kids and then you log in and you see them. Um, and I think that's definitely where my low point lives. It's just like that, that, that uncertainty about how much I can give of myself. And I'll be totally honest. There have been plenty of days during distance learning where I, I think that I, was not able to give a hundred percent of myself. And when I say give a hundred percent of myself, I mean, um, entirely support my scholars in learning to, uh, to at least, um, you know, create that feeling of support that the kids know that they're supported and there's someone that I can rely on. And it breaks my heart that, um, that there's a a potential that maybe a, a scholar felt like they couldn't rely on me. Um, to, uh, to help them, whether it's to give them feedback on their work or just, um, you know, off, offer my own um, just words of comfort to, to a kid that might need it. Um, and I think that really boils down to just a, a, the larger narrative of what's been going on around the country. I mean, you, you know um, that I, I stay pretty up to date with uh, current events. Um, and, and I think that no matter what side side, I mean, the fact that I even have to say that there is a side on approaching something like coronavirus, I think is a a fairly sad statement about, um, how we've been handling this as a, as a country, as a nation. And it, it brings me down. It brings me down a lot. And I see it brings the kids down too. Um, and so really the only way I've, I've managed to combat that is just being open with them and talking about these developments to make sure that we understand what these very important people in our country are saying and what those words um, implement or, or indicate for us um, where we live um, here in Southern California. And, um, 
And I, I think just working through that mentally has been exhausting. And um, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself uh, to an extent. Uh, but th at the same time, I'm a fervent believer and you wake up in the morning and it's a new day and you just you do the best that you can. And uh, and I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be taking away a lot from this experience when it's uh, when it's all said and done. So not the most fun thing to talk about, but definitely important to reflect on. Super important. Um, I really resonate with all of that. It's like difficult to separate being a like support provider for scholars um, with like needing support yourself as an adult that's processing this, you know, with like years more experience than the, than the kids have and how they're processing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the sentiment. We like do the best we can with what we've got every day. And some days that's a little disappointing and we have to show ourselves some grace. And some days it's shockingly beautiful and we have to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think though all of that resonates with me, when I think about my lowest points or my failures throughout distance learning as an educator, I come back to the question, would I have wanted to take that class? It's a question I asked myself after taking a, um, being part of a professional development webinar and attending sessions where I was like, wow, I really got a lot out of that session and attending sessions that I felt drained me more than they were able to, you know, support my own learning as an adult. And I found myself after that experience asking the question, would I have wanted to take that class? When I think about like what I'm teaching every day, and there are days where the answer is like, heck yeah, that class was awesome. <laughs> you did so much cool stuff and like cracked up the whole time and, you know, did some hard thinking or had like a meaningful conversation. Like that would have, I would have gotten a lot out of today. But then other days leaving being like, hmm, I don't know if that would have benefited me as much as it should have. Or, hmm, I wonder what made that class fall flat, you know, in terms of not being engaging being confusing yeah. or difficult to follow. Like, I think it's always important as an educator that we're thinking back on the job that we did throughout the day and like reflecting on what made it a strong class or what made it a weak class, um, taking away what we can. But I, I think for me, like the gap in distance learning is bigger than the gap in my classroom between like a really great day and a really like not great day in terms of my own teaching, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it's like a Monday afternoon and it's hard to get motivated for that, um, you know, for the kids and for me as, as an educator, um, you know, sometimes we, we just, it's like a Friday, everyone's in a good mood and we have like a dynamite class. I know sometimes it's not always me and what I'm doing, but sometimes it is. So just coming to terms with the days that I'm proud of and the days that I'm not. Um, and like I said earlier, just trying to find grace in all of it to, take away what is worth taking away and let go of what isn't. And, and to that point, I think something that's really helped throughout this uh, process is just being open with the kids um, and, and making sure that they're on the same page with where I'm at, like mentally. Um, I, I think that I, I'm always, I would say I'm still struggling to draw the line of like what to share and what not to share. Obviously I'm not going to share anything that's, um, that's not appropriate, uh, for a professional, um, experience, but 
I do think it's important to share with the scholars kind of where you're at um, just so that they know. I mean, I think back to my own high school experiences and I, I had um, a teacher who I adored in 10th grade, um, but he was um, kind of nearing retirement. And uh, we, we know that sometimes when educators near retirement, sometimes things go by the wayside here and there. And I, I mean, hey, if, if you've had a career for, for a while, I'm not going to knock you for that. But it was the first class that I had in the morning. And the only thing I didn't really like about it was that sometimes we'd come in and he was just really feeling really good, really energetic. There was just it, the room felt brighter. And then there were other times we'd come in and it was it just felt dark and, and edgy and, and not comfortable. And he would never really share anything with us. And I just remember feeling so confused and, and, and not supported um, at not really understanding where he was coming from. And so I do think it's important as educators that we, we level with our scholars from time to time. And we, we allow that honesty. Um, and I think because of what we do at Odyssey around building relationships, that is possible. Um, and, and can end up being a really helpful tool when we're working with our kids um, during advisory, during content courses, anything. Um, and so I, I, I think back to my, my negative, but I, I also start to think of how I can leverage that into a positive. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how powerful um, to model that kind of productive sharing um, and productive vulnerability. Like you said, obviously, there's like a logical line of, of what makes sense to share in a professional setting um, to explain, you know, your disposition, your feelings, your attitude towards the day. Um, but to be able to model that for a group of, of young people, you know, what, what's an appropriate way to say, like, I'm having a really difficult time digesting the news this morning. So yeah. you might need to be a bit more patient with me today. I don't feel that enthusiastic, um, but I'm going to give it my all. You know, and that simple sentence to start a class can really, I think, shift the narrative of the rest of the day for you and for the audience that you're speaking to totally wow well this got heavier than i expected but <laughs> it felt good <laughs> honestly it did yeah. it did i'm such an optimist at heart i really am and throughout all of this it's been like natural for me to look at the good side um but to sit with some of the the bad side i think is is equally as important and I think uh, important in the sense that, you know, we're nearing the end of our school year. We might have uh, one more uh, podcast in our system before uh, we call it for the summer. And all of this reflection is going to simply lead to stronger practice uh, in the future, uh, I fervently believe. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to share that with you. So thanks for uh, unloading a little bit today. Oh, thank you. I was literally and figuratively sipping tea the whole time. <laughs> I wish I see now regret. I mean, I have my setup here. I just kind of have a, my, my bottle of water. It's not all that fancy, but, um, I, I will at least figuratively be in the same headspace as you. Nice. Go get yourself a cup of tea. And until next time, folks, this has been the Odyssey of Learning podcast. I am Courtney. And I am Hunter. And that was out of order, but it's okay. Have a great day. <laughs> See you guys.